us out of darkness into a marvelous light. And we don't want that light to diminish in our lives because somehow darkness that's around us begins to penetrate into the very soul of our being, diminishing the affections and the insights and the comprehension that you've wrought in our lives. We thank you that you're faithful. God, And we want to bring to you the honor that's really due to your name. We really want you to be first in our life, Lord. Not just part of our life, but we want to live our life because of you. And I thank you for the people this morning who have made that commitment, who have made that surrender. God, they dedicated and given their lives. And are here this morning. And for this holiday season, we pray divine protection, God, particularly upon those family members of Bible Center Church. And God, our, our arena of uh, that, uh, if there was an incident, God would grip our heart and sadden our hearts so much. And yet, of course, Lord, we pray for all of your creation this morning. The humans that, God, there would be divine protection and comfort for those that are weeping. And Father, for those that have already lost their lives in a service for our country, God, we just, uh, we know that their sacrifice has been greater than most other people's sacrifice for a cause and for a reason. Lord Jesus, I'm asking this again today that in every home, in every individual, whatever uh, 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 sphere that would, would, would benefit them, that there would be an arrival uh, to their addresses, the, the answer to their prayers, God, the, uh, the, the, the table, God, with the goods that you have spread specifically for their lives. We pray, Father, this morning for the various generations that are here this morning, from the very senior of us to the very infants of us. God, that each one will be blessed, will be divinely protected, and will finally arrive safely at home on heaven's shore. Thank you for it today, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to somebody and just tell them you're so glad that they're here this morning. And uh, we acknowledge our visitors this morning. There's a couple of visitors, and we're just happy that you worship being with us today. Hallelujah. There's a secret law in our soul that moves us toward the mental image that we have of God. It says in Romans chapter 1 that they changed the glory of 
the incorruptible God into the image like corruptible man. This morning I'd like to talk to us about and help us, and if not for you, for me, that also to bring in the awe back into our visual of God and our vision of, of God. As we try to discover and let the word shape our image of God and not just your life experiences. I have discovered that many times I want to bring the word so it will fit with my life experiences rather than, you know, the challenge of bringing my life up so it fits the words declaration of it not in a you know uh, uh, so much to a fault but sometimes just by virtue of that's how we that's how we flow A.W. Tozer said this he said the gravest question before the church is always God himself the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God The mightiest thought the mind can entertain is the thought of God. And he says that our real idea of God sometimes becomes buried under the rubbish of conventional religious notions. When a man comes to right belief in God, he is relieved of just... 10,000 temporal problems when you begin to see life in view of the Almighty. The sin of Israel was her reduction and the image that she went ahead and began to... uh, 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 make God into. She made God into uh, an image. Remember the story of children of Israel coming out of bondage and Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments was given and the amazing encounter that they had with God. That's in Exodus chapter 20. And I believe it's in Exodus chapter 32, then all of a sudden we get their application of the image of God. And what they wanted God to be, how they wanted God to relate to them. Because you'll remember, it says that as the mountain smoked and then the the thunderous voice, you know, was heralded. They said, don't speak to us like that anymore. Let there be an in-between here. And so the development of that is, is that they went ahead then when... They made this golden calf 
it is reflecting, you know, that image that began to happen in their lives and how they wanted God to be in their lives. How do you imagine God? How well do you know God? Does the angelic praise, you know, just begin in his presence? As it says in Revelation chapter 8, verse 4, that the angels just began to praise the Lord. What is it? How does your life reflect your beliefs about God? When Moses came to Pharaoh and gave him instructions and said, you're supposed to let my people go. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice? Who is he? And we know the story that developed from that day on. See if you agree with this, me today on this. Visit any church service as we are this morning, and you'll find a congregation comfort, comfortably relating to a deity who fits nicely within their precise doctrinal positions, who lends a support to sometimes their social ideas, who is exactly what they desire in their spiritual experiences. But yet, somehow, there's a missing of the awe, the presence. An atmosphere that, you know, we love. It's precious, it's special, but sometimes no falling on our knees. And I say that with not necessarily a posture in mind as a heart posture in mind. It says in Revelation chapter 1 that John went ahead and began to have a view of the master. When he did, he fell. And it was though he was dead. He was just strengthless in the presence of that mighty one. And that mighty one was the same one that was walking among the golden candlesticks. We don't want to let commonness or familiarity, you know, get us into a position or a place of commonness. We don't want to let the consuming fire just go into a small candle of flame because of this awesomeness and mightiness of God. 
So just breaking it down real quick, what was Israel doing? He said, I want a God of convenience. A God that we can go ahead and, you know, feel comfortable with. And I think God wants us to feel comfortable with him. But knowing the history of the church, having lived through a number of it, there was the period of time when it seemed that the the church preached about the awesomeness of God and the power of God and had those things, but was short on personal relationship with the Lord. And then as we discovered how that God can so be very personal, and he is, that almost sometimes we lose the fact of that he is not corruptible. The awesomeness of God. Personal, and so it's it's not that you know that the things that we believe and what we you know uh, are gravitate to are wrong. It's that they need to be arranged, arranged right in our lives. That God is so awesome, not that you can't approach Him, and yet that He's not so personal that he loses who he is. See, Israel at Mount Sinai lost the awe of God. They wanted a God that was to their liking. They didn't intend to abandon God. They just wanted a better concept of him, more meaningful to, to them, and one that would relate to their needs. And there were three steps that took place in their lives. And let me share them with you. First of all, she lost the awe of God, the almightiness of God. Again, a God that would, let's go ahead and I've got a need, an immediate need right now. You know? And so she wanted a God that was present. God isn't God that meets our needs. He is a a daily God. I shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, you know? Give us this day our daily bread. But when they said, we don't want this God that was so majestic and so powerful and, you know, This encounter that made us tremble said to Moses, you go talk to him and and you come and talk to us. So what's happening? They want personal encounter, private, you know, closeness, but more on their level rather than on God's level. We see in this story the impatience. They were impatient with God's silence. Remember, Moses went up, and 40 days has taken place. And what did they say? Where is this Moses? We need an immediate answer from God. 
We need God to go ahead and, you know what I mean? To manifest himself and to talk to us and, you know, and, and whatever that meant in their life. And so they went ahead and changed things up. And because of impatience, they wanted something more satisfying, something more immediate. And I like quick answers. We live in a quick society. But it can begin to form our image of what we want God to be and how we want God to respond to us. They said God's too distant. He's too slow. And then out of that, individualism began to rule. It says that they said, make us. Make us. And, of course, if you look at our society today, a Christian society, a nation that was born with intent of getting to God, we are in the grips of individualism. Individualism. They just, you know, uh, where your idea is we want to accommodate it. Your idea, we want to accommodate it, and you can't put any demands on, on, on anyone. A society that can virtually solve its own problems, that puts more credit in science than it does in the Word of God. Give us time. We will solve the world's problems. And yet at the same time, You know, that individualism still is there. They still have faith. That's what they'll tell you. You know, we believe this way. We believe that way. And as a result of that, we've got to tolerate everything and accept what is called, someone has called, Sheila Larson wrote something about it, and she called Sheilism. It goes like this. I believe in God, but I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church, but my faith has carried me along the way. And it really, what it boils down to is simply our own voice and not the voice of God. Creating in a, an image of God by the image that we want to fashion him into. You don't have to build, you know, a statue. It's all in what your perception of God is. So I want to talk this morning about, you know, our awesome, awesome God. Have you ever stopped to think about God other than praying to him. Other than praying to God. When you come and most of the time it's need related rather than viewing and seeing and spending some time 
about him. And notice what he says as he depicts himself in Isaiah chapter 40. I don't think we got this on the, uh, the for the guys back there, but you'll find it in chapter 40. Notice what it says. As God begins to communicate himself. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Has anybody been on the ocean? I mean, Lake Pepin's pretty big, but in reality, it's very small. He has measured the heavens with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure. We're talking about shaping our image of God from the word. See, we can't create a God that we can manage. We have to understand that he's a God who manages. He weighed the mountains and scales and the hills and balances. The question he asked is who has directed the spirit of the Lord or who is his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are a drop in the bucket and are counted as small dust on scales. He says, basically, he says that it doesn't even move the needle. The nations don't even move the needle. Look, he lifts up the aisles as a very little thing. To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? What image, what will you draw from all of this to make an association, a clarification? Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? But this is the Bible. It is he who sits upon the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Today, there's all kinds of people taking their tents and putting them up. And basically, God is saying, you know what I mean? That, you know, that little tent that you go on and put out there, and I'm sure he's making reference to the children of Israel, you know, which is much, much bigger tents, okay, because they lived in tents in the wilderness, all right? Making reference to that is you set that thing up. I mean, how easy and how simple that is, and he said, I go ahead and stretch the heavens out. Oh, this is just a tent. And comparatively, to the size of God, to the power of God, to the majesty of God. To whom will you liken me, or whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Those are questions. Those are questions that we're supposed to ponder and ask ourselves. I'll tell you, when we get 
a visual of God that's right, faith will rise. Prayers will be, you know, something that's not laborious, but something that is... You can't wait to make. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created all these things. So he says, you need to take a look. I'm not a stargazer, and I'm not someone that worships, worships the sun and the moon, etc. But yet, Scripture says that you need to take time and take a look at creation. Yes, we know that we're stewards of the earth, and you know what I mean? And, 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 and some of the things that our hands have done have just made it fantastic and, and beautiful, but the size of it, that which is there to, for our hands to work with, and that he's given to us, you know, somebody other than man went ahead and put it in place. And, He says, when you begin to look at that, he says, and how they come out at night. He says, he calls them by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Woo! The world's falling apart. No, for the world to fall apart, God's got to fall apart. Somebody said, well, the world started from a big bang. Well, if the world started from a big bang, it was God who made the big bang. I don't believe it started from a big bang, but hello. I'll buy into you. But there's still somebody that caused the big bang. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And giving thought to that, and I'm going to start with a children's book. Robert Wells wrote a book entitled, for kids, is A Blue Whale, The Biggest Thing There Is. And in that book, he helps these little ones to see just how big the universe really is. So he starts out with the idea of a blue whale, and if you've ever seen pictures of them, of course, you know, I mean, you follow me a little bit from a child's standpoint. I'm an adult, and I still think a blue whale's big. But can you imagine how big a blue whale is to a two- and a three-year-old? Okay. But just one of its flippers is bigger than all the other animals in the earth. But he writes in his book that that blue whale isn't anywhere near as big as the mountain. He says you could take it, hundreds of whales and put them in a jar and hollow out Mount Everest and, you know, wouldn't even begin to touch the size of Mount Everest. But Mount Everest isn't as big as the earth. A hundred Mount Everest, he says in his book to the child, is just a whisker in relationship to the size of the earth. 
but the earth isn't anywhere as big as the sun. God is saying, you know, when he wrote in Isaiah, you know, I mean, he gives a general overview, but now we're going to stop and we're going to think about it a little bit. You can fit one million earths inside the sun. One million. Pharaoh? This is who the Lord is. And then, of course, we got the, the giant star, and I'm not a, into this, but I'm reading from his book called Antars, and you can fit 50 million of our sons inside of Antars. We're not talking about one or two. We're talking about 50 million. 50 million earths inside the sun and Antares is bigger than the sun, so big that you can put 50 million suns inside of it, and Antares is not nearly as big as the Milky Way. Within that, there are billions of stars, including Antares, that make up the Milky Way, and yet the Milky Way is not big as the universe. The Milky Way is just simply a galaxy in the universe. And there are billions of galaxies in the universe. And yet, filled with all the billions of galaxies, galaxies, the universe is still almost empty. (laughs) Hallelujah. He said, I spread this tent out, and I put, you know... All of this in there, and I mean, that's incomprehensible, but it's still empty. You know, the only thing that fills the universe? God. God. The same Jesus that we worship the same Jesus that we praise. Your breath in my lungs. So I sing out your praise. By him all things were created and for him all things were created. For without him nothing was made. Now yes, he became man. All right? But that does not make him man. He is not like the incorruptible man. Oh, hallelujah. I mean, I'd like to just sit here for a while and just think about this because most of the time when I go to God in prayer, it's about my little world. And he has all kinds of, he loves us so much, cares so much, is interested in our specific world that he said, even the hairs of your head are numbered. beyond human calculation the one who spoke it into existence it says that he he sustains it all by his 
power. And in all of that, we haven't done justice to, to it. Psalms 139, and I want to read. As he begins to give us just a small picture. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up, my understanding, my thought afar off. I mean, I have a hard time capturing my own thoughts. and (laughs) He knows all about them before he even gets to us. There's not a word on my tongue that you don't know it all together. You've hedged me in before me and you laid your hand upon me. Just, it's just too wonderful. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? If I, if I go into the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the parts of the sea... Even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall fall upon me, even the night shall be light about me. Darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. God is saying this. To him, there's no variableness. There's not all these things that that are that are to us because he's an awesome an awesome God God's understanding is not just intellectual it's personal Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 says there is no creature hidden from him sight but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do Now, some people, they get frightened by that. I think that we need to become comforted by that. It should put the awe back in us and into our image of God. God alone is awesome. He is the creator. Daniel said this. He's the one and only God. The creator of everything, the master of the universe, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. What does that mean? Psalms chapter 33 said, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea together as a heap. He lays them up in deep storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. It was commanded and it stood fast. He not only created, but he sustains it. It says in Colossians chapter 117, it says, in him all things hold together. Now, the good news is there's a lot of things happen that are out of our hands. That kind of, you know, can disturb us at various points. But 
Not him. Not him. He upholds all things together. One and three, by the word of his power. I think you'll agree that if, if there's anything that arose by chance, then everything could fall apart by chance. You know that one maverick molecule could throw everything into chaos. But there isn't going to be any maverick molecules because there's one who determines all the functions and all the operations and all the orders of the day. God is never taken off guard. He said, listen, Jacob. Listen, Israel. I am the first and I am also the last. He's the beginning and he's the end. So he's not only the creator, the sustainer, but he's also the governor. It says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Man. So there's 93 million miles from the sun. When I crossed Montana one time, I thought that was a big distance. Are you getting this? 93 million miles. And he spans it. Who are you? That I should obey you. Measurement of God's greatness. Why it's difficult for us to comprehend is because we're time creatures. God is an eternal creature. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 57 that thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. Let's put it in perspective. You know what I mean? Just... Inhabits, President Obama inhabits the White House. And as a result of that, that affords him not only certain luxuries, but certain authorities. And God says, You want to know where I am at? I'm in eternity.
he inhabits eternity, and yet at the same time, he deals with us in time. How can it, we go ahead and understand or get ourselves so that we're not doing what we shouldn't do in relationship to ourselves and God? We can bring God down in our thoughts to somewhere around our level and think that he's like one of us. But Numbers chapter 23 and 19 says, as God's dealing with the people, he says, God is not man. He is not man. He has not spoken and will not make it good. So we can either bring God down to make him like us, or we can go ahead and exalt ourselves and make ourselves like God. Those two dynamics. God dwells in eternity, but where else does he dwell? Yeah. With those that are of a humble and contrite spirit. Oh, hallelujah. All of a sudden, we get the personalization of God. The majesty of God. You know what I mean? God, God, I, think, I don't think God is, is trying to, to bolster some kind of ego. I think he's trying to go ahead, you know what I mean? And, and uh, 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 resolve our trust. Improve our confidence. Build our faith. He says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you. But he says, you can ask me and I'll feed you. Yesterday and tomorrow are alike to God. He's outside of time and yet he sees and knows all. To whom will you liken me? Then he, he gives us a comparative. He says, I want you to take a look at the host. By his greatness and his power, not one is missing. And then he says that out of those, you know, seemingly two to four hundred billion in each galaxy, in 500 billion galaxies, he says, I know every one of them. I have named every one of them. He said that his understanding is infinite. When God told 
Moses to tell Pharaoh, who is it that's, is the Lord telling that I am sent you? You know what he was saying? He said, I transcend time. I am before time began, and I am after time ends. Now, whether or not Pharaoh got that, he's conveying it to us. And while he transcends time, he deals with us in, in time. That's why Peter said this, so we could try to understand it in Second Peter. Ask my musicians to come. He says how that time is relative to God. When he said, a day of the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. He's saying, time is relative. It isn't to you, it isn't to me, but it is to him. Don't worry about time. Just go ahead and learn to number your days so that you can work within the framework of your time. Take a look. Who are you comparing God with? And what are you comparing God with? And I know, I, I mean, if you ask me the question, seriously, because this, this is where I'm going, I'll give you the answer. You know? But what is my real image? What is it? It's probably reflected. My real image of God is reflected in really how I'm reacting and conducting concerning life's circumstances, whether in control or out of control. The only way we're going to learn to trust God with all of our heart, you know, is to see how awesome he is. Really. I really think that we need to break the parameters, you know what I mean, that happened with Israel, that happens with, you know, within the framework of Christianity is making God into, you know, what fits for us. What fits for us. He's bigger than that. He's more in control than that. He's holy. It says in 1 John, it says, in, in God, there is no darkness at all. Separation from evil. None. There's no trace of evil in his character. Isaiah 57, it's he who is Holy. Revelations 15 and 4, the angels say alone, for you alone are holy. The uniqueness of his holiness is that there's no one that is like the Lord in his holiness. He's in a class all by himself. There's no rival. There's no competition. Who's like the Lord? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? 
Oh, my God. I wish sometimes that my character and my evil propensities and tendencies were less. Imagine he doesn't have one evil. Here's this awesome and this mighty God, this powerful God. But he's provided salvation for mankind. It says in John chapter 3, verse 16, that he so loved the world. He needs no one, he needs nothing. He is, he's all powerful. He loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we might have our lasting life. The woman at the well, he said to her, he said, if you knew who it is that speaks to you, do you know who's speaking to you? who it was you would ask of him and he would give you a living water that you would never thirst again so comprehension of God has a lot to do with our requests of God this God who inhabits eternity says, I'm going to come into your time. Because you're a time creature. And so with that, he says, you were chosen. This God that without numbers knows the stars. Puts them in their place and you can't see them, but he knows they're there. And Paul says this, he says that, that when this thing is finally wrapped up, He said, in the ages to come, God is going to begin to unfold to us his greatness, his majesty, and his awesomeness. In other words, we're going to start to visit. I don't know if you ever thought of that, but we're going to start to visit some of those galaxies because they're part of God's creation. They're not there just to go ahead and, you know what I mean, be there for nothing because God doesn't do anything for nothing. He does everything with purpose. Now, I don't know what it is. I can't see beyond it. But he's planned it. He's ordered it. And it'll come into its place in its its own time. He says, you're chosen. You are a chosen generation. John chapter 15, you did not chose, choose me, but I chose you. I don't think that's restrictive to the 12. 
God says, I made my choosing not based on who you are, but on who I am. It's by my grace. I did not choose you to be a people for myself, a treasure, because of you were some, you know, great people, but because I loved you. Oh, hallelujah. You know, God loves you. And not only does God love you, but God is honoring your past generations. He is. I think it's most, one of the most powerful truths is this just to not, it's not just about the now generation. For here's what he says. I chose you because I loved you and because I made an oath which I swore to your fathers. Generations, generations. Thank God for prior generations. That's why we got to be a now generation for the next generations. As God says, I'm going to keep choosing. I'm going to keep determining based upon that. So you are chosen. You were sought. This awesome God sought you. The Son of Man did not come to destroy, but he came to seek and to save that which is lost. It's not your Father's will that any would perish, but that all could be saved. As you stand with me, you were chosen, you were sought, and you were purchased. You were purchased. You were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. A price the blood of Jesus an expensive purchase the devil had a right to your life he had a right to your future yes when Adam sold out he had a right to take your life and use it for his glory but God paid for your life and your future. He redeemed it. That's what redemption means. It's like this. It's if we were a refugee. And though, however, we didn't know enough to flee, but was oppressive in bondage and we needed to get out of the captivity. And if a country would send an ambassador to the refugees and along with it a passport with new citizenship and then offer to travel with you back to the new country. That's what Jesus Christ has done. 
is come to take us from, to take us to an awesome God. Who is man that thou art mindful of him? Who is he? We'll probably never understand it all. But the fact of the matter is that the God that made the universe will dwell not only in eternity, but with the humble and the contrite. And if God can handle the universe, he can handle your life. I don't know about you, but to me it gives new meaning to if God be for you, who can be against you? Why? Because the universe, hallelujah, he's all power. You know, he told Peter in personalizing it, he said, you know, when you were young, you dressed yourself, but now when you get old, he said, somebody else is going to take care of you. You know, God says, I'm going to assist, you know, you all through life. He's not bypassing your daily needs. He wants to secure the confidence of your heart in the reality, you know what I mean? That he can, he has the power to do it. Father, as we leave this morning, as we go from this house, we want the awe of God to return into our hearts into our image of you. Oh God, I thank you for the word that you've given and written it to shape the picture of you in our minds, our lives, and the operation of that life. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Bible Center Church. For more information, you can find us online at www.biblectr.org. You can also connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash BibleCTR.